Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Athletic Performance at Munster Rugby, Alad Walters, and Strength and Conditioning Coach at Munster Rugby, Adam Sheehan. Tune in to episode 137 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to the Head of Athletic Performance at Munster Rugby in Alad Walters and Strength and Conditioning Coach at Munster Rugby, Adam Sheehan. So the, the bonus the bonus for my job 9 to 5 is that I get the chance to speak to these guys on a, on a personal and professional level anyway. So then I can rope them in during that time and after hours to actually come on the podcast and that this is a perfect scenario so had a lot going on with uh, the guys at Munster recently so it was a great opportunity to get them on to um, to share what they're doing so both Alan and Adam have presented plenty on exactly what they do at Munster uh, and it's great for me to actually get them on the podcast because I know they're going to talk about exactly what they do at Munster and they're very open with the kind of processes and the things that they do um, over in Limerick. So really excited to get them on. Uh, and I know there'll be plenty to take away from this chat from both the guys. Any skill acquisition coach will tell you that your tactical and technical performance that are put into having a great performance are actually constrained by your physical ability. Your ability to physically do technical and tactical decisions while under stress and that's what we're there to improve I, I i always kind of view it as the adage that like maybe maybe some people look at us as an snc coach as someone who's kind of there to help players lift weights we're not like it's completely wrong our primary job is to help them lift trophies not not weights so just before i get into the chat with alad and adam just want to say a massive thanks to both sponsors of the podcast today in Valve Performance, makers of the Nordboard and Groin Bar, and Coach Me Plus for both for sponsoring the podcast today, but their continued support moving forwards. Um, I know it's kind of uh, nothing to do with sponsorship, but I, I keep up to date with, um, with these guys and speak to them reasonably regularly. So it's great to get their insight um, on how to improve the podcast and kind of work together in, uh, in, in that process. So definitely check them out. So you can check out Valve Performance at valveperformance.com and coachmeplus at coachmeplus.com. Um, so definitely check them out. Uh, both doing some really good stuff uh, and the guys behind the scenes are fantastic. So won't keep you anymore. Over to the chat with Alad Walters and Adam Sheehan. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the absolute pleasure in speaking to Adam Sheehan and Alad Walters from Munster Rugby. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you, Rob. It's good to have you both. So uh, we'll go Alad first. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got to Munster, what your role is, a little bit of background on you. Um, well, 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 firstly, thank you very much for the invite to come on here, uh, uh, Rob. I, I can't believe it's taken you so long to ask someone for Munster. But, um, <laughs> but no, I guess my, my background, even though I have a bit of a fluctuating accent now that's a bit of Welsh and Irish, um, having uh, finished my degree at Loughborough and I went to Edinburgh to do a Master's in Strength and Conditioning, 
I was lucky enough to get a role straight away with uh, with the Scarlets region in Wales, and then from there went on a bit of travel to Taranaki in New Zealand, the Brumbies, uh, back via Wales, and then to Munster. So I started at Munster and just coming to the end of my fifth season here now. Nice. Adam? Um, once I born and bred, I guess, from Cork in the south of Ireland, and um, would have started there, do my undergraduate in CIT in UCC, uh, University College Cork, and then moved from there to do my uh, master's in SNC, similar to Allard, in Edinburgh University, and uh, also was very lucky up there to get a role almost on arrival, really, working with the underage structure up in up in Scotland, uh, the National Age Rate Programme. And then also, after that, spending a year with Edinburgh Rugby as an intern um, with guys like Eamon Flanagan and Andy Boy that worked there as well. And then made my return back to Munster, I guess, where I'm currently, this is the fourth season I've been there now. So that's kind of my roundabout way back to Munster from where I left. Nice. So we had a little chat before about job roles, and I didn't actually realise that Adam's official title was SNC coach, given that all I talked to him about is, is GPS. But... And we we had a little bit of chat around kind of not pigeonholing people. Do you just want to talk to us a little bit about how that works at Munster and why it works? Is that a question for me now? For Adam? We'll go for Alad. Why not? This is going to be a complicated one, isn't it? No, <laughs> I, I guess my approach to things was um, we we four members of staff at the senior level at, uh, at Munster Rugby, so we're very fortunate. We've we've Aidan O'Connell, who seems to have been there for so many years, you know, and he's a such a wealth of experience and expertise across all the components of the programme. There's also PJ Wilson, who's a believable knowledge and a, a real obsession, you know, for, for, for all things SNC. And then Adam, of course, you know, and when Adam initially came, you know, he was a strength and conditioning coach, and it was only due to a staff member leaving that we said, well, he's the most intellectual, he's probably the most intelligent, and he's unbelievable in Excel. <laughs> so you're obviously going to have to look after the GPS, Adam. But I think... What it gives us, Rob, is that everyone, I hope everyone feels like they have an ownership of, of the entire programme where Aidan, for example, will lead the strength programme. Um, PJ will lead the rehab, so he's our rehab coordinator in the same way as Adam looks after the GPS and is more towards the sports science side of things. But we're all SNC coaches and that's why I think it's important that um, PJ knows exactly what's going on in terms of the conditioning program, the direction we're taking with that. Uh, Adam knows exactly what's going on with the strength program and the direction of that. So we're all over everything, which I think is 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 key to having a, a well functioning department. And and because of that, you know, everyone has to justify all the decisions we make, and we almost have to defend the decisions in order you know, to, to to hopefully create the best programme, you know, for, for, for the guys at Munster. So how's that How's that for you, Adam, coming to a, a job as an SNC coach to then be kind of um, not moving to the other, other other areas, but was that an, was the GPS kind of side of things an interest for you beforehand? Um, I guess I had exposure to it in Edinburgh originally, which probably... As Al had said, when a staff member left, it, it kind of eased that transition into it, really. But um, I guess it grew. Originally, I probably would have been mainly an assistant on the strength kind of side of things with a bit of the conditioning. But I kind of found once once I had kind of ownership of the GPS and got that kind of handle on it, that it actually only further flushed out a lot of the capacity that we could use it for 
be that conditioning or justifying, as Alan said, the, the, the usage of that. So I think one, I also then had to justify back to the lads what things we wanted to use from it. Uh, and how it's integrated within our entire program, be that return to play in terms of a player getting back from an injury, be that our conditioning session, or be that the, the monitoring um, evaluation of game demands for the entire team. So I think it kind of naturally progressed over time. But I still, as Alan kind of mentioned there, the, the idea of having the whole team justify their roles, that was that's a really key ingredient, I believe, that, it, that has kind of developed within the department as a whole. So when you say justifying, what do you mean? Um, we actually, we might get to this later in the talk, but we're in this one centre now, which is which is obviously excellent, but we, we tend to have this kind of like monthly uh, in-house, informal kind of S&C meeting with, with all levels of the department. And, and what's really excellent about that is that we actively encourage people to challenge what's being put forward and almost, as Alan just mentioned, justify or, or, or make your programme sound enough to rebuttal some of the questions that might come against it from in-house uh, to make sure that it is the best program that we can kind of put in place. So that's kind of like how it's justified in by ourselves. That That's that's by defending it, you, you try to flush it out and have it as rounded as possible and understand what it, what it is primarily there for. And you do that then within our setting by having other guys challenge it and, and flush it out so that everyone is then, by the end of that process, has a huge amount of insight into what your what what your task for that month or, or, or for that program is, but also they get a chance to get your insight into how you're actually planning it and, and how it comes to fruition at the end of that. How much challenging goes on in them sessions and how do you or how have you created that environment where that's all right? The challenge is good and people can be candid with what they think about what's going on? I don't mind if you want to answer that, but I can certainly say that Alan is probably a big driver in that in the way that he's he's very open as a boss, effectively, um, and very much encourages that that that, that happens. Um, it's not a case that each one of us is in a separate kind of box, as, as we already alluded to with pigeonholing people, so it's, it's almost actively encouraged across the board, and then that filters down to the next level who challenge up and below, and then the next level who challenge up again. So it, it's kind of cultivated, I guess. There's probably two aspects to it. it one, it stems from Aladdin and the way that he approaches running the department. And two, I think a legacy left over from having two training bases where we were a separate group, effectively, with Aladdin, PJ and Limerick and myself and Aiden and Cork, is it actually forced us into being very open and very honest with communicating with each other because we had a physical distance between the two training centres and only true effective and I guess very robust communication could we get a handle on what the person who was running the program wanted from maybe one centre while it was implemented in another one yeah I think you're dead right in that and like our, our, our communication has really been stressed in the past it was a massive shock to the system for me when I arrived and someone said you're going to be based in Limerick and the other half of the team and the other half of the squad of players are actually going to be based in Corks and thinking no, I wouldn't have been that comfortable communicating so often and, and, and you know, so well. You know, you, you have to communicate efficiently. But also, this stems from trying to get much better alignment um, in 
in how we do things in our systems from senior down through the academy to sub-academy and age grade to make sure that things are aligned. So that, 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 that's another reason really for, for, for our kind of in-service sessions is to make sure, well, don't just go off on a tangent and decide to do something for the sake of it. I, I, don't, ha- I don't have the license to do that, even if I am the boss, you know, if you want to say that. But I, I can't go and just do something. If, if I feel that's right, if if I feel I have to justify that to everyone, well, we, we hopefully, because of that, make better decisions whilst developing better systems for Munster, you know. Mm-hmm. So just going on back to the um, back to the GPS side of things, Adam, and integrating that and kind of just almost, again, justifying what you're using that tech for. Do you just want to talk to us? I know, I know you're, you were uh, presented this a couple of weeks ago at, um, at one of the workshops, but you just want to talk to us about how you integrate that within your like in-season and uh, pre-season conditioning. Yeah, um, I guess first and foremost, I guess part of that talk, kind of the, the underlying current of that was the application of, of the GPS technology to to our conditioning in both pre-season and in-season. And I think, as we've already spoken about, the simple fact that I'm not solely a data scientist or solely in charge of the GPS, that I actually have the ability to not only assess and monitor with the GPS, but implement as a conditioning coach as well. That makes um, a massive difference because there's no lost in translation aspect going on. I'm not saying that, that a data scientist doesn't work. I'm just saying that in my own scenario, I found very quick rapid assessment of things that I found interesting uh, and then try to try to impart them onto our training um, and I guess uh, as I spoke in St. George's Park the, the idea was that we view our conditioning as a means of making the team better that that sounds very obvious but we try by and large not to have conditioning for the sake of conditioning we want to get it through extremely high intensity rugby specific training and i feel that's actually our key role not to additionally add on conditioning sessions for the sake of conditioning it's to maximize the benefit of your rugby training for its highest response um so the the talk itself kind of centered around pre-season the use of repeated high intensity efforts in pre-season and in in season we sought to use um segments of the game, uh, activity cycles and passages of play in the game uh, and impart those into our training at a sufficient level that the players would be exposed to high intensity passages but also so for a significant duration so that they could actually thrive and succeed within those passages when they were replicated in game then. So what length of passages were you looking at to be, um, then be able to replicate in training? We had an entire spread of passages, really, from from the entire game. Ala did a lot of work the previous year in terms of looking at the um, the length of ball and play time. That was made a little bit easier this year um, through the GPS system by just uploading sports code ball and play times in there. Um, but I guess Ala did all the groundwork in the beginning to figure out last season what those kind of cycles were looking like so that we could use them in the preseason first and foremost. And then from this year, we've started to look at the ball and play times from anywhere from 90 seconds upwards to four minutes and 30 seconds, which we've seen in one game. So that kind of gives us a framework as to, okay, we're, go- we're going to have this minimum standard of a passage. I don't, ever, I don't ever think that 
me, you and Al could all jump onto a rugby field at the moment and play for 15 seconds. It's 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 not that particularly hard. You'd probably survive it if that was the only thing you'd do. Um, but the hard thing is having multiple consecutive passages of above average duration and actually winning those. So within that talk I spoke about, that was our selling point to the team and to the coaches. We wanted to condition for these passages, which we were terming these battles of momentum in a game, these longer than average duration passages that almost the, the regular fan could see in a game that if one team comes out on the lion's share of those, they're going to have a good chance of winning that match. So was was buying straight away from the coaches on that, on that front? Um, I think myself and Alad would agree that we want high intensity from our training and the coaches also want high intensity from our training. So we also have very competitive coaches. Like um, we always kind of talk, we wonder about the coaches that we have that we're kind of lucky in the sense that Felix Jones has only retired last year and, and was a workhorse player, huge intensity player. Jerry Fannery, incredible workhorse player and values values effort and, and work rate. And then our Rassi and Jacques, who both joined this year, also fall into that mold. So I think, yes, there was buy-in almost immediately because everyone understood that's exactly what we want. We want a work rate-based team. Um, Munster has always been a work rate-based team, in my opinion. Um, it's what's valued the most, even within the squad of players. I think it's so that... Go on, mate. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, we, we, we're very lucky as well that all, all four coaches are well-versed in what it takes um, to succeed in international rugby. You know, when, when, when we look at the, South Af- the, the, the two coaches from South Africa, they came straight from the Springbok setup. The same way as Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones have played international rugby, you know, very recently. And the other thing, and I guess a, a big advantage for us in the department is the fact that Adam knows the game very well as well. So he can put context into it. Like, whereas Adam, and I, and I might be critical of some sports scientists now, or whatever term you want to um, use, who would see the game on the monitor, whereas Adam under- understands the game probably better than anyone, uh, you know, you know, any one of us in the department, which means he, he can put context around everything. You know, there's sometimes we've, we've players with, with high numbers, but their, but their output isn't isn't directed to to a, to a better performance. So to have that kind of context gives us a bit more credibility then with the coaches, and obviously the buy-in then becomes so much easier as well because of that. So what kind what kind of context are you giving, Adam? I guess like why is that? Why is that so important? It's so important because it, it it's what you want to improve. Like you you don't want to make someone improve a one k fitness test. You want someone to be able to to remain in passage, fold on a defensive line, get around the corner and attack. You want them to reload and give us options in attack. And um, be that in our front line as the slam or as a sweep out the back as a backfield player. You want them to be able to perform their job role within a team to their utmost physical capacity. And I spoke about that in the talk as well. Any skill acquisition coach will tell you that your tactical and technical performance that are put into having a great performance are actually constrained by your physical ability. Your ability to physically do technical and tactical decisions while under stress. And that's what we're there to improve. I, I, I always kind of view it as the adage that like maybe 
Maybe some people look at us as an SNC coach, as someone who's kind of there to help players lift weights. We're not like it's completely wrong. Our primary job is to help them lift trophies, not not weights. <laughs> that, so that, like, I like that. That's good. That have you been? How, how long did it take you to think of that quote? Because that's yeah. too good to be off the cuff. It's, yeah, it's not off the cuff. It was part of that presentation that I had done last week. But that is essentially. That is essentially the goal of it, you know. Like, yeah, of course it is. We're kind of kidding ourselves if we think that. Like, I get to pat myself on the back at the end of preseason if the players are fitter by a couple of seconds or they cover more distance. If we go into the first six games of the season, we get hockeyed every game, and we're zero to six leading into the first rounds of the, of the competition. I I actually haven't improved anything. But my job role has been null and void almost. What's the point of having me at the club at all? So from someone in your position, Alad, how do you, how do you um, justify someone's like, someone like Adam's role? So there's not clearly defined like, um, like obviously this guy needs to be able to squat X amount. And if Adam gets him to do that, he keeps his job for another year. It's obviously, it's not as easy as that. How do you, how do you justify them certain job roles that work, kind of work under you? I guess that's a tough question. I think um, at the end of the season, it's always nice to look back and kind of review what, what's actually important to us in a season. Like like Adam's alluding to, is it, is, is it good enough just to get someone fit and to run the 1K quicker? Or is it good enough just to get someone to squat more? No, it's not. You know, do we, do we have as many of our best players available at critical times in the season? That that That's a big measure, you know, and... That, that, that's a big team effort across the strength and conditioning and the medical department and the coaching department, you know. It's, if, if, if the department can work um, with, with, with coaches, multidisciplinary, you know, ability is, is, is massive to us. So, so it's a quite an easy way to justify the need for, 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 the, for the staff members in the department when things are functioning pretty well, you know, and the performances on the field. I, I go in pretty well as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've wanted to ask this to, to someone because I, th- I think it's really interesting. In how how difficult is it for not a, for for you to manage upwards, and for you to, um, I suppose at the end of the season, like you say, when these meetings are happening, to say that my department has done really you know, has done good. Like there's these areas we might need to improve, but overall this department's done well. How hard is it to then? kind of communicate that upwards to maybe people who are in suits in offices. Is that difficult or is that, is that pretty easy? I guess it depends how you paint the picture. I think we, we, we can either look at ourselves at a, as a, as a um, please, please, please excuse me, the terminology or whatever, but we can either look at ourselves as a strength and conditioning department and be content with PBs or better numbers and averages going up, or we can be that performance support team that allows the players to, to perform better week in, week out and, and, and hopefully provide the coaches with, with a better player and a, and a more robust player, you know. So how, 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 do we, how do we build a performance? We probably need guys to be able to train as frequently as possible and then go out in the field and perform. So, so sometimes, like, I, th- I, I think it's up to the people in the suits. It's up to my, you know, it's up to my line manager, my director of rugby to tell me your department is functioning well, you know. So that 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 that's how I see it, anyway. 
So is, is training availability a, a big one at the end of the season that you guys will look back on and yeah, compare that to previous seasons? Yeah, I, th- I think it has to be. We've, we've been in a position in previous seasons where we haven't had our best players. And unfortunately, you know, due to the due to the regulations with the Ireland you know, Rugby Football Union, we're not allowed to just sign whoever we want to. So so we, we, we can't just go bringing in the the superstars from the Southern Hemisphere or, or whatever. You know, we, we we have a squad of players. We have to use younger players and those players have to perform when it when it matters, you know. So um yeah, player availability is it's critical. Obviously when we look back and across the, the pitch um across the training sessions the week of our European Cup semi final against um against Saracens, we had ninety percent availability going into the last session of the week. Now that didn't matter because you know and, and unfortunately Saracens were just better than us, you know. But um but the only thing we can do is hopefully get as many players out to train as possible so the coaches can select from a from a full group rather than be forced into selecting whoever's available. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask you about the uh, repeated high intensity efforts, Adam. Do you just want to give us a little bit of definition of what that what that actually means? The actual definition of how it, how it's collected. On yeah. So what what is classed as a repeat high intensity effort? Um, so the way we have set up our bands is it, it's it's three efforts in, in a 21 second clock, um, and within those it could it could be. A velocity effort, it could be an acceleration or deceleration effort, or it could be a, a collision effort. Um, and for us, then we look at how many of those bouts. So, if you got three of those efforts in that 21 second clock window, you would pick up one bout. Um, and for a game, for example, we would look at how many bouts do you get, and also how many efforts then maximally did you manage to get into your, your bouts. So, that would mean that. The minimum is, is three efforts to go in there, but you could also keep on pushing that upwards to try and get maybe 11, 14, 15 efforts within that one boat. Um, and we'd use that then to kind of look and assess the game and the players. It was a massive part of our preseason last year. Um, it was one of our primary focus for conditioning was growing the maximum number of efforts you could get into a boat. And I guess the rationale for that was, if I go back to the, the passages of play, um, when there's a longer passage of play going on, the, typically because it's a longer, the player has a better opportunity to have a longer repeated high density effort boat. So he has a greater opportunity to squeeze more efforts into that one boat. And we sold it in the way that if a player could get more efforts into his boat, he could impart himself onto that passage with greater effect. Be that in defence, he could hit, make a tackle, reload back into the line, get the correct line and spacing, re-accelerate back off the line and make another collision. And we wanted players to have these big physical efforts going on within that passage to try and positively impact that passage as much as possible. Um, so in defence you want to force the opposition team to attack you for as long as possible. And the golden the golden ticket is that you turn over the ball or it gets it gets it, it stops in play. And in attack, you want to provide as many options in attack as you can. You need a massive work rate in attack to provide those options so that you can break down a defence. But ideally that's what we wanted to use it for. We wanted to sell it in the way that it wasn't fitness for the sake of fitness, it was getting you better to have a better chance of 
physically imparting yourself onto that passage in a positive way. So how many bouts would you expect in a in a regular game? Um, it would vary. So because we use absolute bands, um, it would vary from position to position. So the, okay. easiest, the easiest efforts to get really are, are probably the velocity efforts. Um, and what I mean by that is like uh, when, when you run and you pick up an effort that hits this, the band for that um, and you pick up one effort for that run, say, for example. Um, so you might only get maybe three to four for your front rows, the guys who are who are heavy and, and a bit slower. It's not as easy for those guys to pick up um, to pick up those velocity efforts. But for your back three, you, you could get upwards of 12 to 14 efforts and there would be a mix then per position. The, uh, the back rows would pick up probably a couple of more collisions in their biggest boat as well as acceleration and deceleration efforts because they're, they're closer, um, I guess, to where the ball is coming from. And then the back three their biggest efforts will have a large amount of running velocity efforts inside there because they are probably um, yo-yoing up and down, covering kick space or folding with the line on the outside edge of the line where there's the most amount of space anyway. So it's it's very it's very particular per position, but also I guess the interesting thing is we've seen differences from coach to coach in my tenure of taking care of the GPS. I've seen differences as a whole of the GPS even on coaching styles I guess ways we play mm -hmm. so I'm guessing with that kind of individual nature of that metric there's that means that the condition has to be reasonably individualized yeah we kind of subgroup it down so in the preseason we tried to we tried to subgroup it down into three categories of front five middle five and back five um, kind of a general rugby grouping of positions so um, and then we tried to focus the the work that each of those subgroups did, we tried to focus it particularly for their position so they were getting better at something that they would be tasked with doing. There was no point in us giving the back three a huge amount of collision-based events when they don't get that many in a game. And the same way, there was no point in giving the front five, the props, for example, a huge amount of distance to run and velocity efforts because they don't get that either. They get more... They actually get more static stress and collisions and far more, um, I guess, static exertions in, in mauling or in scrum, scrummaging or in counter-rooking, where the GPS isn't actually rewarding them all that well in terms of repeated high-intensity efforts. So they could rightly gripe at me that they're not getting rewarded properly, but we did try to tailor their conditioning to be best suited per position. So do you, do you try and uh, make all your conditioning with the ball in a kind of game situation, or is, is some just purely grind it out? on the kind of uh, non-rugby specific stuff? I guess it's, it's popular in two ways, really. Uh, the conditioning I would view, like general conditioning, is a general stimulus. Uh, we, we would literally no ball attached to it, um, or, or very minimal at best, but there would be other aspects then where, if, if I give this example of pre-season, where we would have had conditioning drills outlined, would say the repeated high-intensity effort drill set up for the subgroups so there will be a number of stations available there that they will go through activity exercises specific to them as well as having say two other groups who would be playing a conditioning game um, and then we would rotate one team at a time to go around that would give us a general stimulus of running and I guess the ball involved in the conditioning game but also we'd have a very specific stimulus to that position that would pre-fatigue them or post-fatigue them after the game um, the conditioning game 
But then once we moved into the in-season, and this was probably one of the main crux of the talk that I gave um, for Catapult at St. George's Park, was that you actually run out of time. You don't have the time anymore in-season to do extra conditioning, to do little top-ups. You need all your conditioning coming, by and large, from your actual rugby session. So for that then, we work very closely with the coaches to make sure that we're getting good demands from our training that is appropriate to playing the game. Um, that that's the main premise of it. Alad, what's the um? How, how's how's what you do and what the guys do at Munster differ to what you experienced in um in New Zealand and Oz? Uh, I like to think there's not too much difference now um currently, but God, I you know I remember. When 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 I initially went to to Taranaki, when I went to New Zealand, that that, that was a massive change, you know, in how things were done and how how players approached the game. You know, when 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 people ask what what's the difference between the players in the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere, I came from somewhere where, um, potentially the Scarlet, or maybe this is something that's seen across the UK, you know, and Ireland, maybe maybe less so Ireland, I think. But if you, if you spare time or if you have an extra session to do. If you're a non-23 member, you know, you you typically revert to the gym and that's sometimes directed by the S&C coach. Whereas in New Zealand, you know, it's it's not, you know, it, it, it's not a surprise when, when players and professional players go out and, and play touch rugby with their mates at night and that that's what they do in their spare time. And so it, it was... It was it was very different to go from somewhere that had such a strength culture to the extent that I... You know, I I would have assumed this this prop is going to be very good because he can squat two times his body weight. It didn't matter. I hadn't seen him scrummaging, but I just assumed that he would. Whereas the the culture in New Zealand, or specifically in Taranaki, when I went there, was no. You know, you you you're only a good rugby player if you can play well, irrespective of what you do in the gym. So so, so you know, that, that 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 was a big difference and. I don't think that exists now, you know. Well, it doesn't exist in Munster anyway. Um, and then in Oz, I guess, you know, I, I was very fortunate that um, even though I would have found him difficult to work for at times, you know, to be honest, but Dean Benton was the performance director at the Brumbies. And that, that that's one of my regrets is that I didn't learn more from him, you know. I didn't realise at the time how much I did, but he was the one who really got me to appreciate athletic performance or athletic development, you know, and not to think that, as we alluded to earlier, getting strong will just make you a better player or getting you fast will get you more line breaks, you know. So that, that that's really the appreciation. So I'm hoping, so in a long-winded answer, that at Munster now there is an appreciation of trying to do things that will translate to the field, just as Adam's talking about there. So how do you think he... Is oh well, yeah. How do you think he is getting on with that? <laughs> that um, <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Why do you why do you think I'm going with this? I thought you were going to say, why do you think he is doing it? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. Uh, don't make enemies straight away. But um, well, how do you think that translates now? He's in his current position. Do you think we've moved on since then over here, which will make that transition easier for him? Are you talking about Adam or about Dean? Oh, gee. Dean's an unbelievable practitioner. You know, yeah. he he would have he has 
a certain way of doing things that I probably didn't appreciate and maybe very naively I maybe I didn't agree with everything and it's only after leaving that I went shit you know he was he was so right in terms of driving culture you know it's 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 not all about what translates on the field it's it's driving a culture it's it's driving quality of movement and, and, and the quality of work that translates to playing performance. And it's been so consistent with that. So it's it's not a surprise at all. You know, you, you read things that England are doing now. Eddie Jones and Dean go way back. And, and I, I, I can see that the longer they stay together, the longer the England rugby, you know, the England rugby team are going to be a force. And then now you throw in Mac Bennett, who was a, a mentor of mine, from a few years ago when I started the Scarlets, you know, you throw him into the mix, um, looking at looking at the department below the senior team, you know, that that's that's such a strong team. I think, you know, they they, they are it's not a surprise that they play and perform so well. So what what do you think, obviously barring the stuff you hit reading the papers, what difference has of them guys made? What have the, what have they done to to kind of create that culture that everyone's raving about? Um, well, I can give you an example now with the Brumbies. You know, I, I I would have never have thought you could schedule like this, but the the standards are so set so high. As in, for for for, for those people listening, you know, if you for 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 a sum of seven skinfolds, any back who was above forty five mils for a sum of seven was in the fat club. And the fat club was on four times a week during pre season. And it was a 15-week preseason, so the day would look like you know you'd be in, or you know the fat club would start at six in the morning. Then your monitoring would have to be done by half seven. But then you know there was a breakfast on. Now the days four out of the you know the boys would train on the Saturday morning as well, so it's a full week. Now the days would go from half seven in the morning if you were outside the fat club until half five um, in the afternoon. So it's such a long day and. I before then I'd have thought, nah, you can't do a fifteen week preseason and to that extent. But they did because he facilitated things and he drove the standards so well in terms of it was excellent nutrition, you know, the guys were eating steaks for breakfast at half seven. You know, it was, <laughs> you know, he it was it was the detail to getting a chef in, getting a great chef in, but then getting the players to really own the programme then as well and to to coach mobility work. I, I thought this guy is off his head, you know. The mobility work is a chance for the boys to have a chat, relax, and you know, catch up on what happened last night, you know. But it was he, he was he was hard on the players, and he was hard on me if I didn't coach it. And at the time, I thought, "What are you on, you lunatic?" But he was unbelievable. So the the, the standards he set drove the culture, and I, I I actually remember this. Then I caught up with a few of the boys. Um, the Brumbies players who then played for the Wallabies, and um, when 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 they played in Wales, and I caught them up in Cardiff, uh, caught up with them in Cardiff, and they said he should have been the Wallabies SNC coach because of what he did. Now at at the start, everyone looked at him, and went, "What are you doing?" But it's, you know, the Brumbies at that stage only had three Wallabies, so three internationals in their squad. In the first season, I think they just missed out on the playoffs. In the second season, they got to the final. So that speaks that speaks volumes for what one guy can really do to drive a culture and really drive a you know a performance in 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a squad. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Talking about finals, you've got one at the weekend. What's what's been the build up? What's been the build up? What's the build up been like over last? Well, since last weekend. Either. <laughs> I get. I guess. Well, if, if, if I go first, then um, you go for the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice because we've been building up for the building up for this now for a, for a good few weeks. The the coaches are that experienced, and they they plan to the extent that this week it wasn't a surprise. They haven't just thrown a lot of training at the guys for the sake of, of prep. You know, confidence has been built over a, a number of weeks now. Um, so but yeah, it's it's obviously going to be a massive challenge. I don't think anyone goes to a final and expects an an easy win or expect to be beaten comfortably either. You know, so it's going to be a massive challenge. But it, it, it's something we can't wait to get back to the Viva. Um, and hopefully be on on the right end of the result this time. Because you used to be at Scarlets, didn't you? I did. I did. I had uh, four great years of the Scarlets. So I've um, I grew up supporting the Scarlets. I had a season ticket from when I was about seven or eight years old, and you know I'll have about ten members of the family over supporting uh, Munster. Hopefully, one will definitely be supporting the Scarlets at the weekend. But um, I think you know there's, there's never a there's never a case then of. Um, Hoping the Scarlets do well, I just want Munster to win, and 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 that's a be all and end all, you know. But um, but 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 it will be nice. I worked with a few of the players when they were in the academy, so it'll be it'll be nice to see those guys. But hopefully, hopefully we'll be uh, we we'll, we we'll, we'll be the ones celebrating on Saturday, you know. Mm-hmm. And it'd be nice to be the Welsh one, Adam. <laughs> uh, I'm really saying that was just. A win for me would be would be good. I didn't didn't enjoy the experience of losing to Glasgow a few years ago, and I know Gordon Rennie gave me a good ribbing for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I think it would be a massive uh, would be a massive weekend in result for Tom if we managed to get another victory in. But like Alex said, I thought Scarlets were phenomenal um, in getting to the final. Excellent lead up to it, and they've been in incredible form. So. I think it will be all to do on our side as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one thing that I wanted to, that I didn't fire over to you before, but I wanted to just briefly chat about is the, obviously the big loss that you guys had uh, early this year with the head coach. What was, um, what was the kind of, how did you, how did the guys pull themselves out of that and carry on with what the kind of job in hand? Um, that that I don't I don't think anything could ever prepare you for something like that, and it speaks volumes about the the culture of the group. I, I had a chat with Adam the other day, you know, when we thought, oh, we'd be asked about the culture of, of Munster and 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 everything, and I guess we, we've both been very lucky. When when I arrived, I was looking from the outside for many years and thinking, I, you know, you just assume that Munster has a great culture. A culture of hard work, you know, consistency and like standards, and it was exactly like that. And I, I think that that shone through, like that 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 kind of adversity, you know, it's it, it, it's still very hard. But the way the the, the players, I know you obviously your first thoughts, and it still goes to the family and everything. But the way the players managed to to get their heads around exactly what had happened, and considering they'd spent a lot more time with with Anthony than I ever had, you know. Some of them had been coached by him at under-20s level or younger. But to be able to 
to deal with that and then go out and perform and then perform consistently across the season it's it's i think i think it's unbelievable and it says so much about the mental strength of of the group it's um yeah i i think it's incredible and even to to give you the example of you know the the day before we played Glasgow at home in the European Cup, you know, we had the funeral that day and, 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 and guys were standing there for, for, for three hours, you know, and any any other normal week, if you, if you said that just before your captain's run, you're going to ask the entire squad to stand stand still for three hours, you know, on in, in cold or whatever, and then, yeah, you're actually going to play a massive game the next day, you'd be freaking out, you'd be thinking, no, 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 you can't ask them to do that, you can't ask them, you know, even asking guys to go and see sponsors or someone on a Friday before the <laughs> game, you're going, ah, that's too much of a distraction. So to overcome that and and to perform like they have all, all season is, is, is massive credit, and I, I, I don't really know how they've managed it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a uh, that's a good place to to round it up. But just before we go, where can people? We'll go Adam first. Where can people uh, get in touch with you if they want to touch base with you? Twitter, Twitter, um, Facebook, whatever it may be. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Sheen underscore Adam. Uh, on that, uh, but that's probably the best place to grab me if you want to drop a tweet that way. Happy to chat. Lots of people really have a have a good group of people on the discussion thread already. So if you want to jump in on that around, all have a nerd off on GPS. <laughs> I've got a couple of those chats going, so uh, I'm always welcome for new ideas and open to them. But yeah, Twitter is probably the best place to grab me. Nice, Alad, are you in the uh, GPS group? The geek I'm, off? I'm not. This is the first I've heard of it. But <laughs> analogies and sayings all the time just springing <laughs> and then now to find out that i'm out well, i'm pretty gutted but uh no no so i'm not no i'm not in the gps group no unfortunately but you are on or twitter I, I i i am on twitter um i um don't do too much on twitter but i don't talk too much shop but obviously if anyone wants to get in touch and uh so be it and at the same time um my email address, if anyone would want to get in touch for anything, would be just aladwalters at monsterrugby.ie. Cool. And your Twitter is just aladwalters? Yes. Yep. Nice. Perfect. Well, thank you both very much for your time. And uh, and we'll chat soon. Thanks for having me. See you, pal. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 137 of the Pace Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Adam and Allard. Really excited to get them two guys on. I was uh, I was been buzzing for that episode for a couple of weeks between uh, between lining it up and actually making it happen. So I'm glad I'm glad it, we actually did make it happen. I hope the um, my excitement came across and they're uh, obviously presenting some great information on exactly what goes on at Monster Rugby. So massive uh, good luck to them on uh, at the weekend in the Pro 12 final. So, got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, um, hopefully who are going to share exactly what they do, so it's as applied as possible um, on the Pace Performance Podcast. So again, thanks for tuning in to 137, and I will speak to you soon.